You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Hello. I'm Dave. You may or may not know me. If you don't know me, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Dave Longstreth, and I'm the outreach pastor here at Riverside. Thanks so much for coming. If I haven't met you before, I would love to after service, so feel free to come on up, introduce yourself. I I would definitely love to meet you. Um, Today uh, is Toilet Paper Sunday, so for those of you on listening by podcast, you just have to be here sometimes to understand what some of these things are, but today is Toilet Paper Sunday. It's a great day of the year. Um, If you forgot to spare a few squares today... I can let you know that in a couple weeks we're doing a food drive, so you can bring the, that toilet paper in a couple weeks to that food, food drive, and we do appreciate it. That toilet paper goes to help restock the local food banks. Um, so if you have your Riverside app today, you can get the notes right in there, or if you got your smartphone, you can check out Uversion, the, the Bible app, which is, is just a great application. And you can uh, search under the live event for Riverside Community Church Oakmont. That'll give you today's notes. They'll also be up on the screen. Can you believe that we are so far into the new year already? (laughs) This is the part where you say, yes, I can't believe it. Um, We are halfway through our first series this year. It's titled HD Life, High Definition Life, right? And this week, we're going to be talking about finding our place in this world. I want to invite you, if you're on social media, to share any thoughts or reflections that you have. We're using the the hashtag HDLifeRCC. So, considering high definition, it's easy to see the difference between standard def and high def. When we're talking about videos, uh, when we're looking at videos on a new TV, or if we're looking at pictures on a new computer monitor, some of you guys here today, you might understand the technical reasons for this, but if you don't, Nerd Dave here is here to help you understand why there's such a difference between standard def and high def. And I can sum it up with this sentence right here. It's all about the pixels. It's all about the pixels. A pixel is like this minute area of illumination that's on a display screen. It's one of many pixels from which an image is comprised. So I want us to imagine today a high-definition, high-resolution photograph or video, and let's just take a slice of that out, and let's put it in front of our minds here right now. Standard definition has 307,000 pixels in that slice, 307,000 pixels in that slice of standard definition. 720p, you guys heard of that, 720p? That has 920,000 pixels. 300,000 in the standard def, 920,000 pixels, and a 720p slice. How about 1080p? We all want 1080. We don't want 720. We want 1080, right? Okay, 1080p has 2.1 million pixels. We call it megapixels, 2.1 megapixels. 2.1 million pixels. How about ultra 4K, right? Ultra HD 4K. Anybody, anybody, anybody. Ultra high def 4K has 8.3 million pixels in that same slice that the standard def picture has 307,000, 8.3 million. See the difference there? Big difference. In other words, standard def, that, that picture is missing pixels. It's missing a lot of pixels. And as such, it's blurry. 
because there's just not enough pixels to give it that crisp clarity that you see in, in high def or ultra high def. Standard definition, I, I think we could say it's less colorful, it's less impressive. In other words, it's blander, it's more boring. Now, imagine with me, if you will, this great picture, God's great picture of the world, his epic picture. Without you, the picture is incomplete. Shakespeare said this, all the world's a stage. All the men and women are merely players. I'd like to think of it as a mosaic or a tapestry, and every person adds to its beauty. And like a mosaic that's missing tiles, without you playing your part in the world, the beauty of God's, God's handiwork is missing something. Because everybody plays a part in God's plan of redeeming a broken world or making the world a better place. So when you fail to do your part in your corner of the world, everyone is going to miss out on it. What's the point of all this? I'm just trying to say, you have a place in this world. In God's economy, there are no little people. Years ago, the great Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer wrote a book. The book was titled, No Little People. He says that most Christians take an honest look at themselves and conclude that their limited talents and energy and knowledge mean that they don't really amount to much. But Schaeffer says this, the biblical emphasis is quite different. With God, there are no little people. Imagine a world without you. One of the world's most beloved Christmas movies. I love it so much. It's a wonderful life. You guys like that movie? Because it's, it's, it's about how one man, George Bailey, he was given the opportunity to see how his seemingly insignificant life would make a huge impact on the people of Bedford Falls. That's right, that's right. My wife, she just shakes her head because I am the master of impressions. <laughs> Your life, much like George Bailey's life, is significant. You have a purpose. God has a plan for your life, and it's part of a, of a bigger plan. It's part of a bigger picture, this epic God-sized picture. And, and most of the time, it's difficult for people like you and I to see that God-sized picture. Not only do you have a place in this world, but you also have a place in this church. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 12, also the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that each of us have been given certain gifts to be used to serve the body of Christ. We have a place in this church, and we have to play our part in order for our church to be that HD, that high-definition church. We are like a body that has many parts. Paul said this, and each part is necessary to the whole. Now, at the end of our time this morning, you see these tables all around and these balloons. We're going to be given the opportunity to find or to reaffirm uh, our place in ministry in this particular church. Because you were put here for a reason. You're part of the body, and your part in that body is going to add to the HD quality of this church or this ministry. Without you, something's going to be missing. Without you, Riverside is going to be a blurrier, uh, blander, more boring version of the church that God desires for us to be. Our uh, key verse for this series has been John chapter 10, verse 10. And it says this, Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Like a thief of our souls, 
The enemy's out there and he wants to remove pixels from your life. He, he wants to make you a more blurry, a more bland and boring version of, of yourself. But Jesus, he wants your life to be abundant. He wants to be more abundant, more vibrant, more clear, and more impactful. An abundant life is a life of influence. And I'll tell you this, everyone, everyone has influence. You have a place in this world. You have influence. Tell yourself that. I have a place in this world. And because I have a place in this world, I have something to give, and I am someone who receives. Say this with me. I have something to give. I have something to give. When it comes to somebody who seemingly played a small part but had huge influence on the beginning of the church, I want to think about Barnabas. Maybe you've heard of him. Barnabas, he doesn't get a lot of press in the story of the beginning of Christianity, yet I'm going to propose this, that if it wasn't for Barnabas, the church would never have spread as effectively as it did. If you remember from last week's message, we were in Acts chapter 4, and it painted a beautiful picture of the incredible character of those first believers in Jerusalem. It said that they were one in heart and mind, that nobody complained or claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything that they had And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. No needy persons among them. And from time to time, all those who owned land or houses sold them, they brought the money from those sales, they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody around that had need. And then it goes on to name one of those generous people, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. And his name literally means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned. He brought the money from that sale. He put it at the apostles' feet. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. And what makes this story more interesting is this. Levites weren't wealthy. He wasn't a native of Jerusalem. See, Jews had settled on this island called Cyprus. It's an island in the East Mediterranean Sea. An earlier time of displacement, the Jews, they were displaced, they settled there on that island, and Levites, they were not a wealthy tribe of people. So think about the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. How do you think that he got that nickname? Why, if other people sold their land and they brought their money and they put it at the apostles' feet, it was distributed, why do you think Barnabas was the only one mentioned? I think it's because he was the first to do it, and he did it in such a way that created momentum for others. Barnabas gave gladly. He gave joyfully. He gave generously. And when when others saw the joy that it brought to him and the joy that it brought to those that he had helped, Barnabas' generosity was contagious. Barnabas set such an atmosphere of compassion and kindness that the other believers, they enthusiastically followed suit. Now, Barnabas wasn't a lot of things. Barnabas wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't a miracle worker. Barnabas wasn't wealthy. But Barnabas was an encourager. He had a generous spirit. He was a giver. And because Barnabas was a giver, because he set the tone of generosity among the believers, the early church was a magnet And the Lord added to their numbers daily. There's a book called Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. Sounds exciting, huh? 
Elizabeth Dunn, she uh, is the Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of British Columbia, and Michael Norton, Associate Professor of Marketing at Harvard, they reveal the results of their research about the relationship between money and happiness. So scientific literature, it shows us that money doesn't buy nearly as much happiness as people think that it will buy. But these two authors, they show us that money really can buy happiness. Now you want to go out and buy the book, right? But maybe not in the way we think. They say that earning more money doesn't buy more happiness, but spending it differently does make one more happy. So they present five principles to spend differently, to spend smarter. And when applied, these principles can lead to happier people spending less. I love these. So number one is buy experiences. So material things like big houses or fancy cars, they provide less happiness than experiential purchases like memorable trips or concerts or special meals. Number two, make it a treat. If we limit our, our, uh, our access to the things that we really like, it's going to help invigorate our appreciation and enjoyment from them. Three is by time. By time. By permitting ourselves to uh, outsource some dreaded tasks, money can change how we spend our time, allowing us to pursue more enjoyable things. Number four, pay now, consume later. Delaying consumption allows spenders to enjoy anticipation without the pain of paying that big credit card bill afterwards. And number five, I love this one, invest in others. New research shows that spending money on others produces more happiness than spending money on oneself. So counterintuitively, the act of giving away money makes people feel wealthier. Many studies, they demonstrate that spending money on others can increase your happiness even more per dollar than spending that money on yourself. So this is important. People don't predict that donating will make them happier, but the research shows that it does. All this to say this, Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In a church, whether it's Riverside or whatever church it is, a church is a place that should make people happy. Because we want to see Jesus' words fulfilled in John chapter 10, 10. Because the thief's purpose is to do what? Steal, to kill, to destroy. But the purpose of Jesus Christ is to give a rich and satisfying life. And if you want that rich and satisfying, more abundant kind of life in 2016, then we have to realize that we as a church, we want to help you invest into others. You don't have to. You get to. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. So I propose that we invest our money. I propose that we invest our time, our talents, our skills, ourselves. We invest that into others, others around us. Get outside of ourselves, and you will be happier than you could ever imagine. It's that art of giving it all away to find true happiness. So since I have a place in this world, and I have something to give, I am also someone who receives. I give and I receive. Acts chapter 9, Barnabas is going to be welcoming Saul when others were still afraid of him. I'm going to read it for you. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, this is after his conversion, okay? When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he had become a true believer. Then Barnabas Son of encouragement, Barnabas brought Paul 
who was Saul, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So he stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. And when the believers heard about this, they took Paul to Caesarea and sent him away to to Tarsus, which was his hometown. And the last two verses say this, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Barnabas had a generous spirit. Barnabas was a giver. He was an encourager. And because of this, he played a crucial role in the growth of that early church. This follower who wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a miracle worker, he played a pivotal part in the beginning of Paul's ministry. The believers in Jerusalem were scared of Paul. They didn't believe that he was a believer now. They thought it was a ploy. Because remember this, Paul, who used to be Saul, he was responsible for the death of their friend, Stephen, and so many others in that region prior to the conversion of Paul. So you can understand why they would be apprehensive, why they would be afraid of Paul whenever he came to Jerusalem and why they didn't believe him. And Barnabas, he was liked by the apostles. He was trusted among the believers in Jerusalem and he vouched for Paul. He vouched for him. He gave him credibility. He connected Paul to Jerusalem believers and this was a necessary piece of the puzzle that led to Paul's great work in the spread of Christianity. Think about it. Paul's works included letters to the churches, to the new churches. We see these letters in scripture. They're the books of Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. That's a lot of books from this one guy. His missionary journeys, his early church organization and structure so that it could grow in a healthy way. Who was responsible? It was Paul's ministry, but Barnabas was responsible for how the early church in Jerusalem received him, this new believer, this guy who used to be Saul, who killed their friend, who killed their friends. They hid from him. Barnabas hid from him, and he vouched for him after his conversion, and he helped the church receive him, and look what happened. Look how the world changed. Look where we are today. What about our world today? What about it? Who are we repulsed by? And I ask that because I think this guy named Saul, who was now Paul, he killed my friend. He killed my friends. I was hiding from him. Yeah, okay, he's a believer now. Yay, okay? But I'm repulsed by him, right? Human nature. He killed my friend. I'm repulsed by it. Was the early church that? No, they received him. As hard as that was, and imagine how hard that would be. They received him. Are we as a church, are we receiving to others? Who is it that we're repulsed by? Let me ask you this question. Are you a receptive person? Or a repulsive person. Because we're receptive when we're approachable. We're receptive when we are friendly or hospitable. 
when we are open-minded and responsive, sensitive or sympathetic, when we are welcoming, when we are accessible to outsiders. But we seem repulsed by others when we treat them coldly, when, when we're insensitive, unconcerned, unfriendly or unsociable. And our dream at Riverside Community Church is to be welcoming, to be relevant to this generation, connecting people to Jesus Christ so that they would be transformed by the power of God's love, so that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world around them. Sound familiar? Because I think this was a dream of the early church too. For believers like Barnabas, who helped his church put this dream into practice because they were welcoming They connected. There were transformations. There was empowerment. And certainly, the world was changed. What does a welcoming Riverside look like? And whose job is it to be welcoming? Is it my job? Just me? Is it the job of the pastors, the the people on the platform, or uh, ushers and greeters who stand at the door, or the teachers who teach our kids in Sunday school? Is it just our jobs? Or when a guest comes to our home here and sits down beside us or in front of us or around us, will that guest also feel welcomed by everybody sitting around them? What does it mean to be welcoming? What does it mean to be a hospitable church, a hospitable and welcoming body of Christ? I think a guest who comes to Riverside would expect the pastors to be receptive to be hospitable and, hospitable and welcoming, I think that a guest would expect those who are standing on the stage here to be the same, and even, even the greeters at the door to, to greet with kindness and the teachers to have a smile on their face. I think that guests would expect that, but what really communicates to people who visit our church or people who are new to our church are, as to whether or not we are a welcoming church is the people who sit in the pews, in this case, the people who sit in these chairs. No matter what the leaders of a church or the leaders of a ministry do to be welcoming, it is the people that will leave the lasting impression. And I say this with great pride. Fifteen years, believe it or not, I've been here at Riverside. Mm. Fifteen years. And I have heard, honestly, time and time again, about how the people of Riverside are genuine, authentic, kind, welcoming and hospitable. In other words, the people of Riverside have been receptive. Not everybody. I have in my notes, nervous laugh. Um, And for those of us who have been that, don't get lazy, okay? Stay sharp, stick with it. But certainly the majority of the people who make Riverside, Riverside, have been this welcoming and hospitable group of people and keep doing it. Thank you for being that to our guests. Thank you for being that to new attendees at this church. But I'll ask you this question beyond here, okay? What kind of Christian are you outside our happy little church? Like at work, like at school, like in your communities or on social media? Are you a receptive kind of Christian? 
who's known for being approachable, who's known for being friendly and sensitive to others, or are you a repulsive kind of Christian with a reputation for being cold or insensitive, unfriendly to outsiders or people who don't see things like you see things? Every year, there's a leadership uh, summit conference that's at Willow Creek Church in Illinois. And uh, it's been at these summits that over the years that I've been really stretched and really challenged in my own leadership, my own personal uh, relationship with God. And this past year, there's a gentleman named Horst Schulze. He's the former founding president and COO of the Ritz-Carlton Group, that's that hotel chain, and he spoke on this topic of creating world-class service, something that his company definitely excelled in over the years. And uh, this morning, we're just going to watch a brief clip from that message because Honestly, I can't say it any better than he does, and you'll understand why in a second. He says that there are three types of customers. There are loyal customers, satisfied, and dis, uh, disloyal or dissatisfied customers. He says that loyal customers are committed to a business or organization because their needs are met and they trust in the service or the product that has been built. And he goes on to say that customers want many things, but there are three things that are universal regardless of what industry it is. They want their product to be defect-free, They expect timeliness with the transactions, and they desire kindness and care in the interpersonal um, interactions. So let's take a moment, and uh, let's watch as he gives an example of him being a customer at a bank that he was helping out. Hmm. But when she looked up at me, it was totally clear that she hated me. Best line of the whole talk right there. But how many of us can relate to that, right? So I go to Valtteri's in Oakmont. I can't say enough good things about them. I go to Valtteri's here in Oakmont every Tuesday for lunch, and everybody there knows me, okay? They know my name. They know what sandwich I get every single time, and it's delicious. It is. It's a turkey club. You should try it. (laughs) It's timely. They treat me like family, And I'm a loyal customer. I don't just go there on Tuesday. I go there way too much. I go to Chick-fil-A. You know, that's a favorite place for Christians to eat. And um, they give me a good chicken sandwich and delicious waffle fries. They do it in a timely manner. When I say thank you, they reply with this, my pleasure. Every time. And I actually believe them because they're pretty convincing. And then I go to Wendy's at a location that I'm not going to disclose to you. Okay? But like my buddy Horst here, every time that I went there, it was totally clear that even though they didn't know me, they hated me. And I can't tell you the last time I went there. And because of that, I'm a disloyal and dissatisfied Wendy's customer for that particular location. How are we doing at Riverside? Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that those who attend the church are its customers. The last thing that we want is for anybody to feel like this is a consumer-driven church because we are the body of Christ. That's what the church is. So when I say, how are we doing Riverside, I'm not just talking about the leadership. I mean, how are you doing Riverside? Are you helping our church to be the welcoming place that others would like to be a part of? And what could we do to help others become loyal, not only to God, but also to being a part of this body? What kind of personal touch could we add? What kind of authentic relationships can we develop with others, even if we might see them once a week or once a month? 
And God forgive us, are there some of us here who are contributing to creating in others a sense of dissatisfaction or disloyalty to this body or to God? Because every single one of us here on this rock, we are here for a reason. We are a part of God's big picture. He has a plan for each of us, and those plans are as different and as beautiful as all of us are different. And we are a pixel in his ultra-high definition picture. And we have a place in this world. And that place isn't supposed to be dull. That place isn't supposed to be lackluster or boring. Because Christ came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And he wants that life to be vibrant and an offering of worship. We all have something to give. And we all have something to receive. God wants us to give our lives as worship. He wants us to give our time, our gifts, our attention, our stuff, all of it for his purposes, for his glory. Some of it to the church. Some of it to help others. Some of it to help our family. Some of it to help our personal relationship with him who made us. And God also wants us to receive. He wants us to be good receivers of his love that love that is worth so much. He wants us to be good receivers of the gifts that he gives. He wants us to be good receivers of the calling that he's placed on every single one of our lives. He wants us to receive others as he receives them, to be welcoming, to be hospitable. And what he was talking about on this video and what I'm talking about, it's not rocket science. It's not the hardest thing, but for some of us, myself included, it's so difficult sometimes just to remember how to be welcoming and hospitable on a daily basis. So I challenge myself, I challenge all of us here today. God wants us as individuals and he wants our church, our body, to fulfill a mission. And that mission is the one he has called us to. Here at Riverside, our mission is to help others find and follow Jesus. And our dream is to be welcoming and relevant to this generation, connecting people to Jesus Christ so that they would be transformed by the power of God's love and empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world around them. And our primary focus is to revere God through a life of worship, to connect with others in authentic community, and to contribute to the needs around us, both near and far. Imagine if the spirit of Barnabas was all over this place. Imagine if everyone who called Riverside home were serving others with their God-endowed gifts and abilities. Imagine if everyone who walked through these doors found it to be a safe and welcoming place, a home for themselves, a home for their loved ones and for their lost friends and for their family. Let's keep doing it. Let's do it better. Let's step up our game in 2016 and be the givers and receivers as best as we can. Will you do this with me? Then let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for your hospitality towards us. We were once on the outside looking in, knowing that our past was so dirty so stained, and that we weren't and we still aren't good enough to be in your presence. But through Jesus Christ, through his love, you received us into your kingdom 
and you have given each of us a purpose. So once again, we acknowledge our shortcomings, we express our need for your help in our lives, and we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to partner with you in service to others. Help us, God, to find our place in this world. Help us to freely give all that we can for your glory and help us to receive from you and to receive others, those who are now on the outside looking in like we once were. Let us remember where we came from and let us understand where you want us to go. And as you bring others into our world, help us to bring them along with us on the journey for it's in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. Today, we have a sign-up rally. That's what these tables are for. There's two tables right down here. There's four right back there. We're giving you about as many minutes as you want, but we cut this service uh, short about 10 minutes because it's that important, we feel, to get involved outside of yourselves. So in your bulletin, there is an insert, and on the back of that insert is a map, and that will show you what different tables, what kind of groups, service opportunities there are. You can find your way to those. If you don't have a catalog, people standing around with the uh, lanyards on will be able to give you a catalog. You can flip through that and look at it and find something if you haven't already. The people at the tables, okay, they're not just there to watch you sign your name on a piece of paper. That's exciting, I know. They are there to talk to you. So I want to encourage you, if you have questions about whatever it is that you're looking at, please talk to, talk to the people at the tables. That's what they're there for. They want to help you. And um, if you have any other questions, feel free to ask me, feel free to ask any staff member or somebody with the green lanyard, and we will help you. Okay? Is that, is that clear? Is that good? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to release you. To your tables in three, two, one, go. See you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.